Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that God communicates? <laughs> he doesn't have to, but he chooses to. He must want us to know him. And he must be personal and not some impersonal force. God is not an inanimate idol made of wood or stone or money or the things that money will buy. We begin our sermons in the book of Hebrews this morning, and we ought to begin at the beginning. Logically, we should start at chapter 1 and verse 1, and we will. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and I will stop at that comma. Apparently, God has already spoken, and he's spoken to his prophets. Prophets. <laughs> These were not guys whose speculation was on the covers of the ancient National Enquirer. These guys were not prognosticators who just hoped to bat 400, two right predictions out of five attempts. Now, these prophets of God batted a 1,000. They were 100% accurate in what they predicted. These prophets had a lot of faith in God. They had enough faith, actually, to risk it all. They faced horrific deaths rather than shut up or soften up hard-hitting messages from our sin-hating God. Their, their lives went back and forth between severe hardship and even more severe hardship. Abel was murdered. Noah was mocked by his friends and even then by his kids. Joseph went to a pit and then to a prison before he wound up in a palace. Moses dealt with large-scale mutiny, mutiny of millions of Israelites. Daniel stared down lions. Zechariah and Stephen were pelted with rocks until they were killed. Samson, he had his eyeballs gouged out before he was crushed under some building rubble. John was left to die alone on a rock pile of an island called Patmos. Isaiah was stuffed into a hollow log alive and sawn in two with a saw. <laughs> Back then, the good old days were more like gut-wrenching days. And these prophets, these old prophets, they were not in the business for big bucks or for fame because they fully expected their own funerals. 
they knew that they weren't going to go to Florida for retirement. They were like the Moravian missionaries who packed all of their earthly belongings into their own coffins as they left to do missionary work in another country because they knew they were going to die in that country and they weren't coming home for deputation or furlough ever. (laughs) These prophets were spiritual pit bulls. And God communicated to these pit bulls in a lot of different ways, a bunch of ways. God communicated his tough love to these prophets, giving them his unsettling and hard-hitting and sometimes damning messages to deliver to the spiritually deaf, dull, and defiant. (laughs) Today, these prophets, these old prophets, would never fill the former Houston arena that housed the NBA Houston Rockets by saying that you can have your best life now without any mention of sin or repentance. Today, these ancient prophets would not take a seeker-sensitive approach to let rebels to God shape worship services. Today, these real McCoy ancient prophets would never go on Oprah Winfrey's TV show to make the public service announcement that there is no hell because love wins. Bluntly put, God communicated to his prophets what he wanted to say, not what their audiences wanted to hear. According to verse 1, God's communication to his gutsy prophets came down in many ways. That's true. Moses got stone tablets, and Elijah, he heard a whisper. Ezekiel saw visions, and Daniel dreamt dreams, and Jacob met an angel. If persons back then concluded that God didn't communicate with them, they were wrong. God went out of his way to communicate, and he still does. When we move forward from verse 1 and to verse 2, we go from the Old Testament times to the New Testament times. In a seamless, painless manner, when we read from verse 1 into verse 2, we just transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Let's read it. Verse 1. God after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Will you notice that in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, Jesus. And by the way, these last days, are these days, our days, today. 
And in these days, our days, two days, God communicates to us through his son. Jesus is the communication from heaven that crowns all the previous communications from heaven. God has said everything in his son that he wants to say. Jesus is the last word. It's Jesus, period, end of sentence, full stop. Among the other things that this means is that with a manger in Bethlehem, it was as if all the stone tablets and whispers and visions and dreams and angels were put into storage. Beginning with the miracle birth, by God's design, the wiggly baby boy who grew to be a sturdy and every way man was enough communication. Jesus' life and teaching are the gist of what God most wants to communicate to us. And verses 1 and 2a through 2a are as clear as the water of Exuma. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. That's clear. Jesus was and Jesus is God's best communication to a planet full of spiritual paupers who are groping around in the dark, totally unable to get back home by themselves. The first Christmas, the most full and clear message from heaven had to be born, incarnated, And God to mankind communication could never be the same. (laughs) Hallmark's slogan is when you care enough to give the best. God did, so he sent his son. And like you have to open and read a Hallmark card to understand its quality, you have to look more closely at Jesus to be aware of his remarkability as a communication. Verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. There are two points in this sermon this morning, and we come to the first point. The Lord Jesus is remarkable communication because he will inherit his Father's control of all things. There are three aspects to this. In the first place, this control will be control over what is natural. For example, the nations, that is, groups of persons. Also, the ends of the earth, that is, real estate. Listen to Psalm 2.8 on this. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. The Father says to the Son, Ask of me, 
And I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. This will be control over the natural that Jesus will inherit from his father. Second, this will be control over what is spiritual. Redeemed humans, redeemed in spirit, redeemed in soul, redeemed in body, saved persons. Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Do you realize that you and I, who know Christ as Savior, we are inheritance that Jesus is going to be given. And so the Lord Jesus is remarkable communication because he will inherit his Father's control over all things, all things natural, all things spiritual. And third, this control will be over what will be shared. Romans 8, 17. And if children... Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. You, if you are redeemed, saved, born again, you are a co-heir with Christ. Jesus will have control over what he has as his inheritance that he could share out of his inheritance with his redeemed children. One of the examples we find in Scripture of what Jesus Christ will choose and decide to share as a portion of his inheritance to make it our inheritance is some measure of rulership and the future literal kingdom of Christ, thousand-year kingdom of Christ, the millennial kingdom of Christ, where Jesus as king sits on David's literal throne in Jerusalem and judges the whole world as king. Part of what he can choose and will choose to share in light of that authority is as a reward, he'll give some of us co-regency with him in that millennial kingdom. And so to review, the Lord Jesus is remarkable communication because he will inherit his father's control of all things, natural, spiritual, and that which will be shared. So let me put this in another way. Let me put this point that the Lord Jesus is remarkable communication because he will inherit his father's control of all things in a slightly different way. Jesus is remarkable communication because he is in the heavenly father's last will and testament. Now don't, God doesn't die. But what I'm trying to say is when God the Father's will is probated, not because he dies, but because he's done estate planning in eternity past, there will be a transference of power and control from the Father to the Son. This is a big reason why Jesus is remarkable communication. But there's a second reason in our passage. And the second reason that Jesus Christ is remarkable communication is that he is remarkable communication because he is the creator. He is the creator. Verses 1 and 2. God, 
after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, watch it, through whom he also made the world. The Lord Jesus Christ, by the word of his mouth, created everything that has been created, and he created everything that has been created out of nothing. This is the point of John chapter 1, verse 3. All things came into being through him, that is Jesus, and apart from him, that is Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. This is also the point of Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him, the Lord Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The Lord Jesus Christ is remarkable communication because he is the creator. Now, as the creator... God did not have any obligation to communicate with us. As an illustration, let's consider the relationship between a potter and a lump of clay. Picture a potter who's got her clay on the turning wheel. What is their relationship? Romans 9, 20 to 21 informs, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? This object lesson cuts both ways. The clay has no right to question the potter. And the potter has no right, excuse me, has perfect right not to communicate with the clay. And so it ought to be pleasantly surprising that the creator even bothers to communicate with his creation, humans like us. It should make us smile about as big as a high schooler who's accepted into their first choice university and told there's a full academic scholarship. It should make us creatures beam that our creator communicates with us. We ought to keep that in mind when we read God's communication called the Bible, which of course communicates Jesus Christ. And so to circle back, we've seen in the verses that there are two reasons why the Lord Jesus is remarkable communication. Remarkable communication from heaven to earthlings. Number one, he is remarkable communication because he will inherit his father's control of all things. And number two, he is remarkable communication because he is the creator. 
<laughs> you know, some communication is of such a weight that it makes you check into the communicator's qualifications. I mean, when someone knocks on your door at night claiming to be a plainclothes policeman, you would ask to see his badge before you would let him in your house. And, and when a surgeon tells you that you need a very serious and very dangerous operation, you might check his framed medical degrees on the wall of his office. But when someone claims to be God's final and full communication to planet Earth, you do a background check. You check if he fulfills the prophecies to do with the Messiah. And you examine his teaching and his miracles. And you just have to find out what happened to him after he died. When all of these things check out okay, then you listen. You really listen to Jesus. He's God's most remarkable communication. I like baseball because to me, baseball is like fishing. And I like fishing, too. What I like about baseball is that you can't do it fast. And it involves a lot of strategies. Some of you who know baseball know that there's a third base coach. When the team is at bat, they have a coach in the box by third base. And his job is to ascertain if the ball is hit in play and there are runners on the bases, whether or not it's a situation where the runner can pass third to try to score at home or to wait. The third base coach has to ascertain and figure out from experience whether the person rounding the bases should stop, he puts a sign like this, or go around, try to score. Ever since baseball players are little leaguers, they learn about third base coaches, that they're there and that they're communicating. Little leaguers learn that not only are their third base coaches there and that they are communicating, but they had better do what the third base coach shows them. Stop at third, score Try to score. The way that we will listen to Jesus is first by expecting that he's communicating to us. You remember the story when young Samuel was in the temple sleeping and he heard his voice being called and he went to the old priest Eli and asked Eli if he had called him and Eli said, no boy, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And that was repeated a few times, and finally, Eli said to the young Samuel, go back to your bed and listen, it's God. Samuel had to come to expect that God was communicating, so do we. 
The second way that we can listen to Jesus is to commit to doing what he tells us to do before we know what that is. Like some of Jesus' disciples, who had a pretty profitable fishing business, and one day, this rabbi walks down by the seashore with their fishing boats up on the shore and their nets drying in the sun, and he says, follow me. And they did. (laughs) They walked away from their fishing business. They walked away from their families. They walked away from the fish. And they followed Jesus. They didn't know where they were going. They obeyed, found out later. The great thing about Jesus is that he never plays hide and seek with his will for us if we are prepared to do his will before we know what it is. If we don't treat his will like a purchase on eBay, you know, a 30-day, no obligation, no strings attached trial, you get that eBay purchase and you don't like it, within 30 days you can return it with no questions asked for a full refund. God's will is not like an eBay purchase. God says, will you follow me not knowing where I'm going to take you? That involves a fundamental question. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? He is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Is he? On the other end, if you can say no to anything Jesus Christ is telling you to do, then he is not your Lord. He is Lord, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead, and he is Lord, versus I did it my way. God doesn't play hide and seek with his will. For those of us who will say and promise, I'll do it, but I don't quite yet know what it is. The contrast between Lord And no is the contrast between Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and Frank Sinatra. When we expect that Jesus is communicating to us, and when we tell Jesus and mean it, I will do what you tell me to do. I don't know what it is yet, but I promise you I will do it. Then we've properly listened to Jesus. And so I end this message where I started. I I end the message with the same question that I started it with, which is, have you ever stopped to think about the fact that God communicates? He doesn't have to, but he chooses to. Formally, through his prophets, and now through his son, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, In these last days, 
has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Pray with me. Lord, it's clear. It's plain that your best and most remarkable communication is the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the reasons we've seen in our verses today, we have the obligation to listen to him as he communicates to us. To be expecting that he is communicating constantly and to be committed to promise to do what he tells us to do, whatever that is. Lord, we thank you that you are Lord, that you are risen from the dead and that you are Lord. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Help us to lead the way now in the chorus that you are Lord. Amen.